When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. My guest today comes to this conversation with nearly 26 years of experience in the construction industry. This long journey started as an apprentice carpenter, then a carpenter foreman and assistant superintendent, and up until 2016, a project superintendent. She moved into the management side as a pre-construction manager for J.E. Dunn Construction, spending 20 years with that firm. A couple of additional stops along the way before Barb Allen took a brief time out to ponder her future. Oh yes, my guest today is a woman, and the change she made has already placed her among the more visible thought leaders in the construction industry, talking about inclusion, leadership, and most importantly, the gender-specific struggles women face in construction. She is now serving the industry as a success coach, public speaker, and gender diversity consultant. Barb hosts the Constructive Behaviors podcast, which I enthusiastically recommend. Barb, welcome to the Softest Steel podcast. Thanks, Dennis. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you are glad to be here because otherwise this would be a very difficult next 30 minutes. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? And I think it's vitally important that I introduced your laugh uh, into this conversation because <laughs> it's infectious and it's authentic, and it's the alternative to listening to your dogs in the background. So I think we're, we're all good. Yeah, no promises that doesn't happen during this, but we'll hope so. Yeah. Or hope not. So obviously, I, in fact, I was talking to someone that we both know earlier today, and uh, the comment she passed along was, what an impressive roster of women interview candidates I had for my podcast. And I mentioned to her that I was going to be visiting with you today, and she was anxious to hear what you have to say, as are a lot of people. So obviously, we're going to talk about women, but I want to talk about some other things as well, but just acknowledge that reality, because again, one of the reasons in my movings around the industry, I hear about you more and more, is that you are recognized as a thought leader. And there's a couple of elements about that that I want you to talk about with us today. But the first thing I want to talk about is, again, just that the obvious, very familiar thought or question, why or how did you get into the construction industry? Yeah, that is such a, an interesting question. For me, I grew up, my dad owned an HVAC company, primarily residential, but you know, we would go check jobs after church on Sunday and I hung out, but I never thought about construction as a career. It literally never crossed my mind. I was working at a hardware store and lumberyard all through high school and college, still not crossing my mind. It wasn't until I was a junior in college, I was about to quit school. I felt like I was wasting my money because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. And I stumbled upon the construction management program at my college. And as soon as I read what that degree description was, I knew that is exactly what I was supposed to do. It was completely out of the blue, kind of felt like it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I've never looked back. Hmm. So connect the dots between that and the carpenter's apprenticeship. Yeah. So when I was in college, 
I understood there to be two primary roles that people took. I understood there are a lot more roles now, but I understood people either took construction management and went into project management, or they went into the superintendent side. And I knew I wanted to be in the superintendent role. I wanted to be in the field, on the job sites, working. And the company that I hired on with, J.E. Dunn Construction, based out of Kansas City, is signatory with the Carpenters Union there in Kansas City. And typically, traditionally, superintendents have come from that carpenter lineage. And so they placed all of their superintendent trainees into the Carpenters Apprenticeship Program and made us work our way up through the ranks so that we could learn to physically build on the projects. And I was actually the first female they ever hired out of college to train to become a job site superintendent. Well, and obviously with your long tenure there, it worked out for them and for you. I'd like to think so. It was a really great couple of decades there. Mm-hmm. And when you entered, uh, again, we were, we're still very, very uh, underserved with women in the industry today. And you know that well because you talk about it all the time. Sure. But when you came in, it was it was almost like a rounding error in terms of participation, and particularly entering through a trade uh, into the into field operations. Um, talk talk us a little bit about how how it was as as the only female uh, and at that point in time. What was that like? And and be you know. And again, we're talking about the environment, the acceptance by the dominant uh, gender in the industry, all those kind of things. Share what that was really like for you. Yeah. Um, for me, what was, it was surprising to me because I had never really, um, I'd never really faced adversity, um, until I started in construction. I just kind of grew up in a family where you could do and be whoever you wanted to, to be and become. And, um, it wasn't until I got on the job site and I started feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure that they want me here. Uh, I think I knew there would be, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to have to prove myself. I'm, five foot five, 110 pounds at the time. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't look like what anyone expected someone that was headed on that path to look like. So I expected a little, but, um, I was kind of surprised at where I, where I did meet resistance because the guys that were my age, uh, didn't really seem to care. Um, and the guys that were some of the oldest guys on the site surprisingly did not care. They treated me more like, oh my gosh, like she's like my little granddaughter. I want to like bring her in and teach her. And it was the guys that were maybe 10 to 20 years older that just weren't sure that I belonged there. And Mm -hmm. it was really, um, it was really, I'm going to call it bullying, uh, but it was in a way that they just kept pushing and pushing to see if, is she really going to make it? Can we make her fail? Can we get her to quit? Um, that kind of stuff. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what I face. And what, what's interesting is uh, when I had started there, like I said, I was the first female they hired out of college to train to specifically become a job site superintendent. There was another woman on that, um, in the carpentry, um, leadership at Jay Dunn, she was about 10 years older than me, and she faced a lot more hmm, a lot more pushback than I did from the field people. And then the woman who started 10 years after me, she faced less than I did. So it I, I have been able to visually see and hear the stories, the difference between the, the decades as it is getting better. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that, that's, that, that's very, so 10 years, let's say just, you know, roughly 10 years, you're, 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 you've got your level of experience. There was someone, another female, 10 years younger than you, and a female 10 years older, older, more pushback, younger, less pushback. Um, why? I think, I think it's because, um, I think it's just because it, it started to become a little more accepted, you know, um, there started to be more and more people in the industry and, you know, from a coming from the college standpoint, I can tell you that when I graduated, I was the only female in my construction management program. Um, there was one that graduated the semester before I started and one that started the semester after I left. But now, um, my, my college and I went to, uh, university of central Missouri, it's a smaller school, but I would say there are six to 10 women in that program. Now, I think it's just, they're becoming more and more women are joining the industry in ways that it's becoming more of a norm and, and being accepted more. Mm -hmm. You, you use the term bullying, uh, which is a harsh term, uh, certainly, um, did, did you feel, uh, you know, again, today we talk a lot about, about, uh, inclusion. Uh, we talk about diversity, uh, you know, closely together. Uh, we talk about the, the, the negative side. We talk about discrimination. We talk about workplace harassment. Um, did, did, was it at, at that level for you or was it just, uh, I mean, again, bullying is harsh enough, but, uh, would you, would you, would you say it elevated to somebody who were really to look at it objectively, they would say that you were a victim of harassment? I think some people would say it's harassment. Um, and maybe I should say it's harassment. I think that, I think that there's a lot of stuff that we as women, refuse to see and we refuse to accept we're like oh it's not that bad because we, we're expecting a certain level of it mm -hmm. and someone from the outside looking in is like yeah that's harassment okay well maybe it is uh, i just this is what i was expecting and this is how i'm kind of dealing with it and i know for me coming up in the trades i just felt like i'm just going to work hard and they're going to see they're going to eventually see that I have a spot on this team and that I am pulling my own weight and that I, I can be and am a beneficial part of this team. I just felt like I just need to keep pushing and keep going and then eventually they'll see it. And mm -hmm. I, so I, I think that I didn't want to see it as harassment. I, I mm -hmm. just felt like it was more bullying and, and maybe it's the same thing. Maybe I'm mixing terms. Well, again, at the end of the day, it's, uh, uh, in a, in a non-positive, non-supportive environment, it really is in the eyes of the person who could say that I'm being harassed. Uh, and you, and you chose not to, uh, and it sounds to me like what you chose to do is just to, to go about trying to, uh, to progress in the place that you, where, where you wanted to be. Yeah. And I, I would like to clarify that I was, the people who bullied me were not the majority. They absolutely were not the majority, but of course they're the ones that you remember. And unfortunately, going back, you know, 25 years ago, there weren't a lot of people who stood up against the bully. 
they just kind of, you know, off to the side and be like, hey, don't worry about him. He's kind of a jerk to everybody. You know, that that kind of sideline support. Mm-hmm. What's unfortunate to me is that that hasn't changed a lot. It is still sideline support happens today, whether it's on in in the field or in the office. Too many times sitting in a boardroom where I may be the only woman and I I say something that seems controversial or contradictory or out of the box and the room just kind of goes silent and you don't feel supported, you leave the room and one of the guys walks up to you and says, I totally hear where you're coming from. I totally support you on that. Mm-hmm. It's that sideline support again, instead of just being in the room and saying, wait a second, she has a point. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I feel, unfortunately, I don't think that has changed. It hasn't changed much at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that, I, I agree with you. And it's, uh, it's uh, terribly unfortunate because it's, uh, it's continuing to, to be an obstacle, uh, towards what is a logical train of thought. And that is that we have a very large population of individuals who happen to be the gender of female, uh, who have attributes and traits and abilities that could greatly benefit the building process. Uh, and we're making it as difficult as possible uh, to uh, to get them into the stream, get them in side by side so they can demonstrate what they can do and help our industry uh, populate itself. Uh, again, we're not... We're not attracting folks into the industry in droves, uh, and, you know. Again, that's so. And so, if we're if we're leaving out in many ways, excluding, not including uh, the, the the female population, uh, then we're losing many many opportunities for 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 young women who maybe in high school uh, have a chance to experience a pre apprenticeship program, and 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 say to themselves, you know, I think I want to do this. I didn't. I, I don't think I could have known that unless I they took me to a, and showed me a carpenter shop or a place That's where right. where flooring was being installed. Um, so we're seeing more of that. Um, comment on what you, again? Let's let's kind of shift into that for a little bit because um, I know you've been active uh, in talking to a lot of people, appearing places, interacting with folks. Um, what are, what are you seeing today as far as what the industry is doing to try to make the industry a better story to tell? Uh, I wish that I felt the industry as a whole was doing something. Um, I just don't. I feel like individuals and certain companies are doing things. And I think that there is, there are definitely companies out there that have a push. They have recognized the benefits that women do bring to their organizations, to their projects, to their bottom line. And they are actively seeking out more women uh, to hire. I don't think think that that is industry-wide yet. I think a lot of companies still see women and minorities as quotas and they, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to, how do I hire more women because they want to meet a quota? And that's just not, that's not the kind of, I'm not looking to change someone's mind. I want to help and help the people that already know what women bring and yeah. help them find the women and help them promote and develop the women into, uh, leadership roles in those organizations. Yeah. I think, I think in a, in a conversation we had a, a little bit ago, uh, and I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but the thought was uh, that you either you, you wonder for yourself or you think uh, uh, from your perspective, why am I talking to audiences of women about women in the construction industry? 
when it's the men that are the ones that are continuing the pattern of behavior that makes it so, so difficult. Uh, am, I, am I, did I say that about right? And if, if I did, could absolutely. you expand on that and say a little bit more about, you know, what that's all about for you? Yeah, absolutely. When I went out on my own to figure out what I wanted to do that could most increase the success of women in our industry and our industry as a whole, you know, the easy button is, Hey, let me talk to women. Let me help, um, develop women. Let me help bring more women in. But the reality is we are still significantly the minority. And if we can help change the mindset of the rest of the industry, that's going to have more of an impact. So my, my epitome of speaking engagements and consulting is working with the men in the industry to help them recognize the struggles that women have in our industry and how they can help us to overcome them and help us eliminate them. And the biggest of those being unconscious biases. Uh, Unconscious biases are unconscious, right? And I strongly believe that we should not We should not project guilt on anyone's unconscious thoughts, but we do have to bring those thoughts from the unconscious to the conscious. And I mean, I'm a person who can do that. You know, I've worked with, I've been the only woman on a job site with 250, 450 men. And I was the person at the top of that job site. You know, I was the one in charge of it. It was my job to get everyone moving in the same direction. Everyone on a job has a different agenda, right? They have their, they're fighting for their money and their position and their schedule. And the superintendent's job is to get everyone moving in the same direction. That's what I know how to do. And that's how I, um, one of the reasons I I love speaking to men is because I can get through to them in a way that they're like, Oh wait, I had not thought of that. And that's one of the best things for me is, when I finish a, um, a speaking engagement or a, a workshop, when men come up to me, they're like, you know, I never realized I was doing this. And so mm-hmm. many times the men that come to these um, speaking engagements or workshops, they are, they're the ones that already want to be involved. They want to do something to improve this situation. And yet they're still coming up to me afterwards saying, I didn't realize I was part of the problem in this aspect. And I mm-hmm. love that because mm-hmm. that, that realization is something they're going to leave the room with and they're going to share with their team members who are also most likely predominantly male. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you finish that, you said, and you, you tell everybody that you, that you saw me, you tell them what I said, <laughs> please tell them. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah. Um, no, that's terrific. I, yeah, I, I think it, it was really part of even how I initially reacted to you when we first met. And I may have said something as as uh, seemingly inane as, you know, you absolutely do not look like someone who spent all these years in the field, period, hard stop. Um, and therein is your typical male a statement uh, with an indication of an unconscious bias. Right. And, and bias is not a good thing. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I was about to, uh, but it's not a good thing in any regard. There are a lot of forms of bias, but, but the ones that are just in that, in that bucket that are referred to as implicit or unconscious, those are the killers because, because, because you don't know 
that what you just said demonstrates that you have a bias about this or that. Uh, And somebody's got to point it out to you. And if it's going to be this diminutive female wearing some some presentation wearing glasses telling me that I have an unconscious bias, I ain't going to listen to that. I ain't taking that. Um, But uh, I think you have such uh, an effective way of communicating. uh, And I'm I'm sure that's why you get people to listen, which is what we need them to do in order to, to make this not not uh, a necessary topic of conversation in in my wheelhouse. And you know my wheelhouse, you know my book, you know I talk about soft skills. And I mean, this is where I live. uh, And uh, uh, I hope somebody puts me out of business, but I think it's going to take another generation for it to happen. Uh, What are your thoughts about, uh, again, since you you draw a good picture of where we are today, which is where we were in many ways 10 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago. Uh, In fact, it was probably even more of an issue 20 years ago, because uh, 20 or so years ago, they're part, they're part, you could count on one hand how many women were in the construction industry. I, I mean that in a relative sense. But, sure. and, and I've had, <laughs> I think I've had three or four of those five women on my podcast already to talk about their first days and what it was like for them. Uh, but listening to you talk about it coming in through the trade uh, is, uh, is, is, is different and more, uh, and more poignant uh, and more interesting in many ways uh, from the folks that came in with an engineering degree uh, and came into went to work for for an engineering firm for a construction management firm uh, or directly for an owner in their engineering department. Um, those were challenging enough, and those were coming in for again what we, what we said 20 years ago were the white collar jobs as opposed to the blue collar jobs, uh, and they 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 experienced. Uh, the workplace, which happened to be a location uh, with a roof over it and with chairs and offices and those kinds of things. And you're out on a job site uh, with things, including porta potties, which are disaster areas. Uh, and again, there's that, I mean, we t- that's being talked about more and more as, as a way to, uh, and, and our, someone I think you know as well, Adam Hoot, talks about uh, in, under, under the lean principles, one of the asset tests for, for whether a company really is implementing lean principles is, in fact, the toilet facilities on the job site. Uh, because if they're, if they're of a certain caliber uh, and acknowledge that, that there are two genders that, that need to use these, um, they, they indicate by, by having something which is proper and reasonable that they, ha- they, they deal with the fundamental building block of lean, which is respect for people. Uh, and I think that's such a cool but easy way to figure it out. All you got to do is check out the porta potties. And I know this is a little, a little blunt and a little crude, but I think you, under- you understand fully my point. I do. And um, this may surprise you. My, my view on the Porta Johns is a little <laughs> different than people probably expect it to be. But for me, I will say I, I was really I was really fortunate. This is such a weird conversation, a weird thing to say, but I, I think it's important for people to hear. I was fortunate that I the first couple superintendents that I worked for before running my own jobs, they were adamant that as soon as there was writing on the walls, they sent a laborer in to clean it off. They would take a grinder and clean it off. So it was rare that I actually saw stuff about me on the Johnny, um, mm. which is what we call them in Kansas City. I was going to say on the Johnny. I was going to say, I was going to get you on that, on the Every, Johnny. Everybody calls them something different around the yeah. nation. I'm learning this, but, um, so I didn't see that, but, um, I, I, <sighs> Man, there, 
There's so many different conversations to have about the Johnnies. So I'm going to leave that one at there right now. Yeah. But they, they, they can be awful. They absolutely can be awful. And uh, they need to be cleaned up for everyone, not right. just for women. They, they, somebody needs to start taking care of that. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think I think we should announce today our campaign uh, <laughs> on a nationwide basis. Well, you know, but again, it's it's uh, uh, a little bit of appropriate measured laughter is appropriate around this topic, but it's emblematic. Uh, it's it's not it's not far afield. It's not just you know the Soft Steel podcast went off the rails in this particular interview <laughs> um, because it, because it does speak to uh, you know what the environment is like on a job site. Uh, and uh, and not just for the more, more more overarching benefit of it being an indicator of uh, of the culture that's brought to a job site with the application of lean principles, um, but it, but it should be what's brought to a job site in every situation, whether you're doing a job using lean principles or the straight design build delivery system, whatever it is. The bottom line is that um, that we we all, whether we're male or female. Both both genders qualify as being human beings, uh, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but that, that's a point because sometimes we 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 forget that the the fundamental reason that we should have uh, not have a need to talk about inclusion so actively, not have to talk about social justice or equity so actively, uh, is because we recognize that I'm a human and you're a human. Uh, and and we can just kind of stop right there, and the rest of it just kind of gets filled in, yeah. based on how we experience each other, not not how we look at each other or or make assumptions about each other or have biases because of something that my crazy uncle said 60 years ago that's still wired into my brain that makes me react when I see someone who's Irish, you know, and and how do you can tell a person's Irish? Well, if they get they get mad at you, their face turns red. That's a bias. It happens to be right. a, a true statement as well. But, but you see my point. Um, we're people. We are. Um, we you know, all so. have biases. We we all ha every single person has biases, and whether they're related to gender or they're like, oh, that probably that person probably is a cat person. <laughs> oh, uh, you yeah. know, like it's we have biases. They they exist. We just have to be able to start recognizing them and addressing and navigating them effectively yeah yeah uh and and reasonably yes uh and in a, in a in a respectful and sensitive way um because it's it's all also clear to me that you have a cow bias <laughs> um and for, since 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 folks will be listening to our this conversation i will describe for you that i'm i'm looking at barb and barb has behind her three really interesting paintings they're all cows one of which is sitting in a comfortable chair mm -hmm. the other one is just doing a dead-on stare and the third one is wearing glasses so for cool. our for our listeners that's what i'm looking at right now oh and by the way barb allen is also in the frame that i'm looking at right uh -huh. now uh -huh. but uh yeah there you go okay I, you know I, I, you know i'm not expected to behave myself at all times barb <laughs> and you're bringing out the best of the worst of me uh i might add so uh, and thank Thank you for doing that. Absolutely, um, my pleasure. In some of your talks, uh, and you shared this with me in our in our first conversation, uh, you talk about uh, you use the analogy of a ladder. I do. Uh, can you share with us the essence of what your one ladder analogy is all about? Oh, I would love to. All right. Um, so one ladder is all about 
companies, organizations in our industry building one ladder that provides a safe and equitable climb for all. Because although on paper, in our HR handbooks, um, everyone's climbing the same ladder to leadership, the reality is the side of the ladder that women are climbing has missing rungs, broken rungs, sticky rungs, and slippery rungs. And those are slowing the climb for women. And the, what I talk about with those four rungs is how, how to even recognize them. What, what do they mean? What, what is a missing rung? How do I see it? And, and okay, now that I've recognized it, how do I, as a woman, fix it, get around it, overcome it? And as an industry, how do we get rid of missing rungs so that they aren't missing any longer? Um, I think, I think people like to say, people want to say, we just, you just promote the best candidate. And I a hundred percent agree with that. We need to simply promote the best candidate, but the reality is even if sexism didn't exist at all, unconscious biases still do. Mm-hmm. And the things that happen that take, for example, um, what, what I consider the broken rung, the broken rungs are the old way of doing things. They're the, because we've always done it this way. And as an example, the way that we get together as an industry, the way that we do hunting trips, we do bird shooting, we do golfing, we do deep sea fishing. If we're out of the Houston office, you know, mm-hmm. these are traditionally male activities. Are there women who love them? Absolutely. Uh, is it the majority? Nah, it's not. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I learned early on, I'm going to have to learn to play golf because that's where men go out for a day and those those organic mentoring relationships are formed or that insider information is given as they're sharing some beers on the course, you know? And when when organizations only sponsor and hold events that are traditionally male type events, you are leaving women out of those opportunities for, for mentoring, for growth. And that's a broken rung. We need to fix it. I'm not saying that now we go just have wine tastings. Not all women like wine. We have to start having events that draw all genders. And uh, you're not going to get everyone to like one kind of something. You've got to have multiple types of events, but all of them need to be able to draw all genders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that 1000%. That said, I have two different thoughts. One is that I was at an event that included a social event after serious conversation. It was golf. And for the members of the audience that may know me, I need to report that most of the folks, I think all except maybe two or three out of 40-some players were women. And part of the good news, at least one of them is probably a better golfer than most of the men, which is a good thing. So women can learn how to play golf and do it even better than men. That's one thought. But the second thought, which was not good news for the rest of my foursome, who were all folks in the industry in pretty significant middle management and supervisory roles, I was a better golfer than all three of them, which means they're not playing (laughs) enough golf. So, but the serious question, and this may seem like I'm putting it on the spot here as we close out our conversation with this gotcha question. What's an example of an event that would be an event that you would design to be 
an event that both male and females could come together for that social purpose or that non-business focused meeting, visit, et cetera, purpose? What would be an example of something? Yeah. And when I talk to companies and organizations about this, I highly suggest that you send out a survey and the survey, it can be anonymous, but it does have to have gender you have to be able to mark your gender on it. Otherwise, it comes back heavily biased again because you don't know what your organization really wants. When I think of it from a field perspective, I think about a superintendent. I think about escape rooms. I don't know if you're familiar with escape rooms, but Mm -hmm. from a construction standpoint, man, we all think we're going to solve the problem faster and better than the guy next to us. Project management field, you put us into a room, we're going to figure out how to get out of that room. Like, I just think that's a fun activity that most people would enjoy. There are people who are claustrophobic. They're not going to want to do that, right? But that's one of those things that I think our industry as a whole, it fosters what we like to do problem solve. Yeah. Yes. And it's a very much a team building exercise because you've got to work together. If you've ever, have you ever done one of those yet, Dennis? I have not, but I've heard people describe them. So <laughs> you've got I to get work it. together yeah. and because it's clues all over the place. So you can't just, Oh, I found this clue. Now I'm not going to tell anybody and see if I can find the next one. You'll never get out of that darn right. thing. So that's, that's right. something that I think. Well, you see, the thing is, Barb, I'm ahead of the game on this because I've been talking about these issues around women in the industry for a while now. So I know who I would pick to be on my team and it would not, <laughs> it would not be a guy. And I'm being serious. <laughs> about that. It's almost a silly thought to say it this way, and it's kind of graphic, but you know, it's one thing to be able to pick up something which weighs 150 or 200 pounds. And yes, generally speaking, one could say that a man could do that better than a woman, but even that is still a harsh generalization. But on the side of thinking and problem solving and organization and discipline, women just beat the living you-know-what out of men, period. And if a man just resists that thought coming out of another man's mouth, well, then they just need to wake up and realize what's been going on around them for years, but their biases don't let them. So, gosh, you know, our time is up. <laughs> and I think it's just in the nick of time and was getting kind of crazy here. Barb, on, on a serious note, you know, I was so looking forward to this conversation. I think people that listen to it will be informed. They'll be motivated to think about some really important things. And they'll also probably smile a few times because, again, one of the things that we are demonstrating with this conversation, there's two things. One, men and women can get along for a 35-minute conversation, <laughs> but that humor, even in talking about serious subjects, a sense of humor is very, very important to try to deal with difficult situations. Sure. Thanks so much for being on the Soft to Seal podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That was great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Softest Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Softest Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Softest Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. 
connect your voice to the world.